we are. It's April at the DeBartolo Performing Arts Center. My name is Ted Barron. I'm the executive director here at the DeBartolo Performing Arts Center. Hi, Ted. Hi, Ricky. I'm Ricky Herbst. I'm the cinema program director here at the Browning Cinema. So we get to talk about April. We are showered with a wonderful group of films, and I use that <laughs> April showers analogy deliberately because we literally get to talk about films about rain. This yeah, month. two of them. <laughs> <laughs> so clever here heavy, at the Bartolo Heavy leading. That's right. Heavy leading. Just, just you know, in case you missed it. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be very specific. So we kick off um, Tuesday, April 4th, right? We're going to keep going with the 80s series. Right. So Michael Kackman this semester is teaching a class on 80s media. And we have three films that are tied to his class uh, that are going to be up on Tuesday nights. On April 4th, like you said, to start the month, we have Purple Rain uh, starring uh, a little-known actor named Prince. Yep. Uh, in uh, his magnum opus, I would say. And uh, that is, um, well, about a year after he passed away. It is a year after so he it's passed a good, away. So it's a good re-memorial. That's right. Because I remember, I, I, I remember last April we had the director, Margaret Von Trota, here. Mm-hmm. And I picked her up at her hotel and had the distinct – Dishonor of telling her that Prince had just died. Oh, it's one of those like, like, like where were you when Kennedy was shot? That's like, right. When Prince died. When Prince died, I told Margaret von Trotta. That's good. At her hotel. For me, now it's always just I was sitting at my computer and <laughs> there's nothing. It's not like I was actually Google doing news anything. Alert. Yeah. <laughs> Do people get those? Um, well, funnily enough, I learned that Prince died because I was reading about that China. Or whatever her name was because of trademark from the WWF. Oh, she died at the same. She died, and someone said, "Oh, China, I'm going to miss you, and I'll miss Prince." I was like, "Oh no, right? Sorry, China, but like, the Prince is the focus here." Yeah. Um, So anyway, but uh, so and we went and saw it. uh, They played it at AMC. Here in town. Oh, that's so we right. Went. They did show it in the immediate. And we got to dance a little bit. It was fun. Yeah. So this um, will be a one-year memorial for Prince. And then we keep the color train rolling because the week after, <sighs> April 11th, is Pretty in Pink. Wow. And even in the same spectrum of color. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, no warm <laughs> colors or no cold colors here. Um, so Pretty in Pink, um, which was shot in L.A. I learned this. Yeah. And I, I read that in your description, and I said, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, just in terms sense. of how it looks. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't look like the other. There's something different about that film in relation to the other John Hughes movies. I, I posit it is the L.A.-ness of it. The L.A.-ness of it. Yeah. That, that makes it, is it the better of the John Hughes? I actually, I, for a long time, this was my favorite of those movies. Really? I felt like it had a little something else going on. It has the wrong ending. It should have stuck with the... Original ending, which I won't spoil, but it got screen tested out. I know, but that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. There's, I've always wanted to see that ending, and they've, you know, they've teased it that it, that somehow you'd be able to see it sometime, but I've never been able to find it. Um, Breakfast Club, then Sixteen Candles, then Pretty in Pink. By the way, totally wrong, mm-hmm. totally wrong. And that's the Ordinals. Okay, and then a week after that. We go on, there's the Easter vacation, and we return from that the day after Dingus Day, Mm -hmm. Tuesday, April 18th. We are showing Rain the Color of Blue with a little red in it. What is, where did this come from? This comes from Niger. Um, This is a great collaboration with Professor Jamie Black. 
who got a grant, and uh, we're bringing in the director, Chris Kirkley, who actually has ties to Indiana. Okay. So this is the first Tomashek language film that's been made, and it was made in Niger, and it's a loose adaptation of Purple Rain. And the kind of Brechtian title comes from the fact that they don't have a word for purple mm-hmm. in Tomashek. So we get blue with a little red in it. That's the direct translation. Gotcha. And so, so Christopher Kirkley, he's he's a, he's an American director working in Niger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if you ever thought, you know, what would Purple Rain look like if it were mashed up with Berber culture? <laughs> Got your answer. I've been wondering that. That's been. How did you know? Sitting on it for thirty years. How did you? What know? could it be? Yeah. Uh, and that's going to be a really awesome night. That will be mm-hmm. a very fun screening. Um, I think that will get that have a lot of energy in it. Yep. So those are those are our Tuesday night lineups. Yep. Uh, throughout the month, moving down the calendar, uh, the weekday calendar, we yeah. hit our Wednesday series, which yep. is your film class. Yes, and we're coming to it's film history, but it's more recent film history. Although not that recent, because it's still we're still about twenty five years. Going back about 25 years. Yeah, you're still in the last millennium. Yeah, yeah. So we start with uh, another memorial screening, um, Abbas Kiarostami's close-up. Mm. Kiarostami died, was it last Was it last spring he died, or was it earlier than that? It's it's, it's recent. Roughly, yeah. Yeah, so um, close-up, which is arguably one of my favorite films of his, one of my favorite films of, of the 90s. Um, it's a really fascinating uh, study of kind of how documentary film can work, but it's not quite a documentary film. So uh, it's it's a film that ha- in which Kiristami plays himself, and he's investigating a case involving a man who posed as his fellow Iranian director Moshan Makhmabaf, um, and it follows the trial that kind of pr- uh, proceeded from that. And I maybe shouldn't say too much more about it because because it's also a film that. If you go into it blind, I think it reveals itself in really um, uh, in exciting and endearing ways mm-hmm. um, in how it reflects on that whole process. I, I also, I think it, it explains itself well enough. Sometimes yeah. when you come into global cinema, you need to do a little bit of reading, right. figure out what might be happening. I think that you can come in cold and it is didactic in that way. Right. And it's also – but I think you know, if, you're, if you're looking for context, it's certainly of a piece with – you know, late 20th century Iranian cinema, which often has a great degree of reflexivity to it. It's, you know, thinking mm-hmm. about the process and, and, and kind of uh, messing with the, uh, you know, boundaries that we think of that mm-hmm. exist between fiction and nonfiction film. Like in the last Earthquake Trilogy film, mm-hmm. he's directing someone playing himself. Yes. Right? So. Yeah. Through, uh, through the olive trees. Mm-hmm. No, is that through the – no, it's life and – Nothing oh, more. I'm getting, I'm getting them mixed up. Which one's last? Is it? Is, it's life and nothing more. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm getting them confused. Sorry. Uh, so, but one a wonderful, wonderful piece by uh, Kiarostami, uh, Abbas Kiarostami, Iranian director who everybody should know and everybody should come and see. So then we go. Um, we're going to do a, a section on um, the different cinemas of China, um, and we'll look at a film from Taiwan. Uh, titled Rebels of the Neon God, which is uh, by Simon Lang. Uh, this is an early film for him. Uh, he kind of gained more steam in the early 2000s. 
Um, but this uh, was a film that was made in 1992, largely went unreleased in the U.S. And um, thanks to uh, a plucky distributor, Big World Pictures, uh, they relaunched the film in 2014. It kind of has echoes – the title even suggests it's it's a kind of echoes uh, American teen culture. But at the same time, it's very much a, a Simon Lang film. So it's um, not a lot of – you know, not a lot of strong narrative elements to it, kind of more observational portrait of life um, in Taipei. Um, and, um, uh, you know, we're, we've been waiting for an opportunity to show this restoration. So I'm glad that, that this kind of aligned with our class. Um, not on a Wednesday night, but kind of connected with that is we're going to show um, Edward Yang's uh, long lost film, A Brighter Summer Day. Emphasis on long. <laughs> How long? <laughs> yeah, four. It is four hours long, uh, which um, you know, for anybody who binge watches television, that's just you know, that's right, an afternoon. That's nothing. That's nothing. That's I'm that's not even that's not even a that's not even half of a series, half of a season of a series. So um, instead, but you we're could not going to do an intermission, right? No, the way it's been presented, through. yeah, it's designed to be presented without any without any break. Of course, you know we won't, uh, you know, look uh, look at you funny if you have to get up uh, during the film at any point. But uh, we're excited to show this. Uh, Edward Yang, probably most people know for his two thousand film Yi Yi, uh, which was for many his kind of breakthrough in terms of an international audience. Mm-hmm. And sadly, it was his last film um, mm-hmm. because he had health issues and passed away in two thousand and seven. Um, but he uh, he's a he's he, another really wonderful filmmaker associated with the uh, the new wave in Taiwan in terms of you know post uh, or 1980s 1990s uh, starting out in, in the 80s as a director uh, directors who were kind of reshaping um, what people thought of uh, Chinese film in general but specifically in Taiwan so. Um, and, and Yang is – I have not yet seen A Brighter Summer Day. I've watched pieces of it but not seen it all the way through. Haven't found That's the, exciting. the four hours. So Good excited for that. Yep. We should get – you should get like a T-shirt or your name on the wall. I survived. <laughs> I survived A Brighter Summer Day. Um, then we go to – we have a couple of more films for that series. So we go to um, Jane Campion, um, our sole female director in the series um, in her 1989 film Sweetie. Um, which is just a, a which is a film that kind of brings back a lot of memories of kind of late '80s. It, it reminds me more of American independent cinema in terms of its style. You know, it looks it looks like a Jarmusch film. Or we were talking about Hal Hartley yeah. um, as a director who has a lot of affinities. The, those Sundance vibe. Yeah, movies. yeah. A- all these films that you know, there was the whole American Playhouse movement we were talking about, which mm-hmm. uh, American Playhouse used to fund, uh, uh, used to be a funding source for films no longer exists, um, but uh, has that kind of, of look to it. And um, excited to include that. And then we wrap up uh, the semester with Do the Right Thing, which is a film a lot of people know from 1989, uh, directed by Spike Lee. Set you up for the summer for a nice hot summer day. In late April, mm-hmm. um, in a film that's probably, I'm eager to see what the response is now. Given um, it's, you know, how does it how does it resonate to a contemporary audience? Given the issues that it considers in terms of race relations, definitely a very different portrait of Brooklyn um, right. from what it is now. <laughs> Brooklyn's changed a lot <laughs> since 1989, but it starts to, but it, but it kind of foresees a lot of that. There's there is the whole there is the whole thing about gentrification kind of mm-hmm. coming up and how that's how that's uh, what impact that's going to have. So that'll mm-hmm. so be, be an interesting piece to review. Speaking of gentrified, have you seen those like Spike Lee Capital One commercials? 
Are these the ones They're he does on, with Samuel Jackson? Yeah, on yeah. March Madness. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. <laughs> I just I watched him. I'm like, oh god, where he's did not, he he's, go? He's, well, he's you know, yeah, he's, he's got a family. He's cashing in. He's got he's, he's got mu- he's got mouths to feed. So yeah, um, you know, there's that. Um, so then, um, getting to um, our Thursday uh, night series, yeah. um, which are uh, much looser. They're not part of an overarching. Yep. Uh, series. Uh, first of all, we have Twelfth Night, um, yeah. uh, which is the National Theater Live production. Our own Peter Holland uh, wrote the notes um, for and the this, production. And this one, I think, has a gender switch, like a lot of the kind of contemporary um, reconsiderations of, of Shakespeare, where it's a uh, uh, a gender switch on a gender switch. Yes, yes, I think so. I think in this one you get that. I, I have to I, I, the. Um, I forget which character it is. But. Um, mental note, we should show She's the Man at some point. Okay. Stand by that movie. All right. Um, <laughs> then we talked about A Brighter Summer Day. Yes. Um, and then April 20th, um, Nanovic is sponsoring uh, the new Michelle Gondry movie, uh, Microbe and Gasoline. Yep. Which is uh, a Misfits movie. It's two kids who don't fit in in school uh, who are very passionate about their technology and their projects and their art. Um, I think that he's probably reading himself into these characters, he being the director, Michel Gondry, quite a bit. Um, and they build an RV and hit the French countryside. Um, and it is uh, it's very heartwarming in the way Gondry films tend to be. Yep. Um, and that will be a lot of fun. And then we close our Thursdays um, in April. Uh, Anton Juan, who's on faculty in... The FDT department has made a film that had um, grants from a lot of different bodies, and so um, mm-hmm. a lot of people think there. Um, and he will be showing uh, his new film, Woven Wings of Our Children, yes, uh, which is set in his native Philippines and deals with uh, disaffected teenagers. Um, very similar, I think, to probably like Rebels of the Neon God. And a yeah. brighter summer day. To well, these are these are street children. So I mean, I think they're dealing with you know levels of poverty that you, that that you might probably not aren't see there. that in those in the in the Taiwanese films. But um, I think you know one of the greatest accomplishments that Anton you know, a lot of accomplishments with this film. But um, the children that he found for this film, they're all non-professional actors um, who you know he prepared and worked with. Um, to get them into this film, and it's a very and they're and they're going through very harrowing experiences. So for him to successfully kind of work with them, I think is quite an accomplishment. So uh, tip of the hat to Anton, and he'll be here to uh, to talk about the film and talk about what he, what went mm-hmm. into it. Busy April because he's also directing the Miracle Place that will be up. Yes, uh, Christ Passion, which is mm-hmm. uh, the FTT production for this month. So. Um, so then, uh, moving off of Thursdays, if you're looking mm-hmm. at our weekend fair, if you want to get out, mm-hmm. uh, start April 8th uh, and 9th, uh, Saturday and Sunday, we'll be showing Hidden Figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the one that was on a lot of people's radars uh, from award season, from pop culture. It just really melted into uh, kind of people's consciousness. Yeah. And it tells an undertold, if not untold, story of African-American women who were active in the sciences at NASA uh, during a time when there was still segregation at NASA. And um, it certainly uh, is um, emboldening for young people who want to grow up and do whatever 
uh, they want to do with their careers. Yeah, we're going to have some matinee screenings where we're going to be doing some outreach to uh, to get bring in some uh, community members and help mm-hmm. to uh, try to make tickets available. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll be uh, we'll be doing some outreach on that. But I think this was you know this was a film we we talked about as you know is this you know because of the fact that it had such a wide such wide exposure already you know why would we include it? And I think given the content of its in, of uh, you know this intersection of um, you know being a, a really positive story of diversity, but also kind of celebrating um, this you know women in the sciences. And we have uh, sponsorship right from the mm-hmm. Women's Society of Engineers for the weekend screenings. Mm-hmm. Um, that this was and Africana Studies is on board too. Great. Mm-hmm. So you know that that intersection I think just really spoke to the kinds of collaborations we want to celebrate and present here. So mm-hmm. made a lot of sense. And it's rated PG. Uh, family friendly. Yeah. So the three um, o'clock screenings. You know, if you if you have uh, you know for you listeners out there with younger viewers, I think that's a great opportunity to bring your uh, to bring your kids to the cinema to see just a real a positive story. So um, that is that's a movie that I probably would have been sold on because they would have been like, you want to see a space movie? Like, yeah, <laughs> I would showed up. And I'm sure I would have liked it as a kid. I would have been yeah. mildly irked that. It wasn't like space camp. <laughs> yeah, that there's too much. It's too earthbound for you. Yeah, you yeah. needed to get out into the to the nether regions. Um, the and universe. then the weekend after, uh, we are on break for the Easter holiday. Yes. Um, you can watch Jesus Christ Superstar at home. Or Jesus of Nazareth. Or Jesus of Nazareth. Depending on what you grew up with. Mm-hmm. That was always big in my house. Um, I successfully lobbied my parents to let me stay home on Good Friday once, and I just listened to disc two of Jesus Christ Superstar. It was that's, a good that's trade. Good, that's a good, it's a good trade. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we come back the weekend after with uh, Julieta. Yes. Which is uh, Pedro Almodovar's uh, new film mm-hmm. and Return to Form. Uh, people say he's, kind of, he's back. Um, and this is, uh, I was going to say an appropriation, it's an adaptation of... Alice Monroe stories, mm-hmm. short stories that have been trans. Uh, well, they've moved from Canada to Spain, and it deals with a mother and a estranged daughter. Very well worn right. uh, territory for him. Yeah, uh, and so I think that will be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it's um, you know for for Almodovar fans, um, what's nice is you know I mean he's kind of keeping up with his. Um, you know, presentation of really strong women, of course, within his films, really interesting female characters. New group of actresses, except for uh, Rosie De Palma is in this, uh, who many Always. people, yeah, well, <laughs> she's in a lot of them. Um, but the, the, the younger actresses uh, who are kind of at the center of the film are really pretty, pretty remarkable um, and really drive the film. Uh, so, yeah, I think it, I think it has the, it has the payoffs, I think, that people look for in the kind of classic Almodovar women's film mm-hmm. um, and, and rewarding in that way. So, yeah, And this on. is on his more – I mean it's always kind of melodrama, but on the more serious side of his canon too. I yeah, think. and less um, kind of le- – yeah, definitely less – he's been going kind of out there in terms of you know a little more outrageous with uh, – what was it? I'm so excited, excited, which was about the flight attendants. <laughs> yeah, and, that didn't work for me. <laughs> but, um, but also I think he's less uh, – you know, it's less provocative content. I think he's kind of – you know, with like The Skin I Live In, for example, as a mm-hmm. recent example of you know, a film that just kind of maybe pushed people a little, a little too far. 
um, this this kind of brings it back to what people know and love about his work, and it's rewarding. Aging you know. gracefully. Yep. Yep. Um, also, that weekend we have a Sunday matinee of Keddie. Oh. So number one <laughs> most requested film of this semester was Silence. Yes. Um, makes sense. I was going to say on the campus of the University <laughs> you, of Notre let's Dame. Not, let's not discount silence, but and then the second most <laughs> was definitely Ketty. <laughs> so we we're able to give the uh, the people what they want. And I saw this. Um, so for those of you out there, uh, it is a documentary about um, street cats in Turkey, uh, specifically Istanbul, if I remember correctly. And I thought from the trailer it was going to be much more. Like Android Weber cats ish, mm-hmm. <laughs> like there was going to be a Mephistopheles or whatever, or a Rum Tum figure, uh, because in the trailer they're like, "Well, he's the pirate, yeah. he's the womanizer or whatever." Yes, uh, but they really they don't go that track. They don't anthropomorphize them, uh, and they make connections between how people who live in the city care for cats and how cats return that with emotional bonding or not. Um, and it's a really interesting way to see uh, Turkey, which is a uh, Istanbul's obviously beautiful on yeah. uh, on film. What was the alternate title? They called it nine. There was another title for it: Nine Lives. So, and then like the the cats of Istanbul or something. Uh, yeah, it was a little more. Literal. Yeah, well, because I thought there were two documentaries about Turkish street cats out. Because of that title. Because, yeah, I was like, oh, there's Ketty, and then there's that other one. I'm like, yeah, yeah. what is what this one? They must, I think, but was that, the, was, nine, was that the title of the that really atrocious uh, Kevin Spacey movie last year where he becomes a cat or something? I think it's – is that called Nine Lives? There's some other There's some other film that has a similar title. Is this the, like, the, he, the weird third season of House of Cards? Uh, no, 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 no. This is <laughs> – he's – I think he – He's a terrible. He's he's kind of terrible in the way that he's terrible in House of Cards, and he and he gets reincarnated or you know kind of put uh-huh. into the body of a cat. Uh-huh. I don't know if he dies or not because it was anyway. That was I think that was the title differentiation. Okay, that, maybe that was called Nine Lives. I don't mm-hmm. know. So uh, regardless, this is not the terrible Kevin Spacey movie as a cat. This is no, if you it's if you the, it's the heartwarming cat documentary. Yeah, um, and. Uh, it is family friendly as well. Yeah, and it's also one I've noticed. We we have the trailer running in the lobby, mm-hmm. and um, you can spot the cat fanatics right away because they will stop in their tracks to <laughs> to watch this trailer. Yeah, I just I start crocheting whenever, <laughs> I, whenever I see it. Um, and then our last last film will hop in for the uh, for the month of April, and we yeah. do have programming in May. By the way, for those yep. of you out there, um, will be Patterson. And this is a collaboration with the wonderful Higgins Labor uh, program. And we will have a panel presentation after the Friday, April 28th at 6.30 screening. Um, And this is Jim Jarmusch's latest uh, film and deals with uh, uh, Mishawaka's own Adam Driver, right? Um, living in Patterson, New Jersey, and is named Patterson, right? I believe so. I haven't seen it yet, so I'm I'm, I'm eager to see it. But um, that was enough of a hook. Yeah. <laughs> I <was> like, okay, <laughs> that sounds great. But he's uh, a but bus he's driver, a, right? A bus driver slash poet making his way in the world, and um, and I think the, po- the 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 kind of the poetry becomes kind of the center of the film from what I've from what I've read about it and seen. Um, is that you know he's you know he kind of lives an ordinary existence in New Jersey and that 
he really finds his soul, it sounds like, through poetry. Um, so it's uh, – it, and it uses a lot of like text on screen effects. Um, if, if, oh, really? I think so. I haven't I seen it so. yet. So yeah. These, these are just – I'm going in, cold. It, yeah, I'm going cold as well. But it's it, these are just from clips that I've seen that um, – that, that highlighted, but um, we're, you know, so this is, but just the, the, the labor studies context, just to clarify, is that we've done an event, I think every year for the last six years now with the Higgins program, mm-hmm. uh, right around May Day. So we've tried to find ways to celebrate May Day. Sometimes we've done documentaries um, that highlight labor issues. Sometimes we've done uh, fictional films. One year we showed um, the, um, the Darden brothers film, Two Days, One Night, as part of this. Um, oh, so, yeah, yeah. so we try to we try to hi- find films that kind of highlight and celebrate the lives of working people. Um, so this seemed like a, a great film to consider in relation to that. So uh, we're we're also um, grateful to the Higgins program for their flexibility. We were originally looking at this as a one night program, but uh, we're going to run the film for the for the weekend. So uh, you'll have if you can't make it to the night. Uh, with of the screening and panel discussion, we'll have you'll have other opportunities to see it over Wonderful. the weekend. Wonderful. And then we May brings the end of the school year. Yes, it does not bring the end of our programming though. We will have um, an active May and a little bit of foreshadowing. Uh, the Michigan Jewish Film Festival yep. will be during the month of May. Yep, seventh year of the festival. And uh, you will certainly hear more about that in the next establishing shot. Great. I'm establishing the establishing shot. You are. (laughs) (laughs) You're bringing it full circle. You're you're closing (laughs) up the shot. So, um, yeah, so we'll be back next month uh, to talk about that and um, other things going on here at uh, at Deepak. So I think that's it. Great. Thank you, Ricky. Thank you, Ted. Have a nice day. Okay.